0: Don't forget you can follow along with the locations in this episode on our interactive VR map. The link is on our website, 122675.com. This is VPD Report Hartman, December 13,
1: 1975. Wednesday, December tenth, nineteen seventy 1975, 1800 hours. This agent, who is the senior agent in charge of the VPD anti-burglary team, had deployed the following agents in selected locations in an attempt to detect and apprehend the person known as the Ransack Burglar, who is responsible for a total number of burglaries in excess of 90 since April of 1974. Agents McGowan and Shipley were assigned to Number 1, which was bounded by Noble Avenue on the north, Martin Street on the east, Myrtle on the south, and Central Avenue on the west. Area number 2 was assigned to Agents Arnold and Stenbeck, which was bounded by Myrtle on the north, Martin on the east, Beverly on the south, and Central on the west. Area 3 was assigned to Agents Ross and Woods, which was bounded by Beverly on the north, Giddings on the east, Laurel on the south, and Divisadero on the west. A copy of the VPD Anti-Burglary Team Tactile Deployment Sheet and a map showing the location is attached to this report this agent was in an unmarked police vehicle and cruised in and around the areas where the listed agents were either in fixed positions of observation or moving in and about their area on foot which was to be determined by them agents mcgowan and shipley had advised this agent that one or both of them would be located in the garage at fifteen o five west Kiwea due to the fact that they had observed tennis shoe tracks matching those of the ransacker in that area of the garage and also underneath a bedroom window at fifteen o one west cawea 2038 hours. This agent heard Agent Shipley via the police radio requesting help on Kawea Street, advising that shots had been fired. This agent was approximately three and a half blocks to the east and proceeded westbound on Kawea to Kawea and Dolner and contacted victim who advised that he had attempted to apprehend the above listed suspect and upon doing so had been shot at by the suspect and gave this officer a complete description of the suspect in his last area of observation, which was in the rear of 1501 West Cahuilla this agent upon observing agent mcgowan noticed there was a redness about his right eye and also there was a discoloration of his face which appeared to be black powder type particles around his facial area agent mcgowan asked this agent if he had been shot and requested this agent to check his facial area for any injuries Agent McGowan also advised the flashlight no longer worked, and at this time, this agent handed my flashlight to Agent McGowan and took Agent McGowan's and at this time observed that there was a bullet hole in the lens of Agent McGowan's flashlight. The flashlight was at this time seized as evidence. Agent McGowan also turned over to this agent one book of blue-chip stamps which he stated he had found on the grass at the southeast yard of the residence at 1501 West Cahuilla. This was also seized as evidence at this time. This agent at this time requested all available units from the California Highway Patrol, the Tulare County Sheriff's Office, and all VPD units who were in service at the time to immediately proceed to the area in an attempt to seal off same and apprehend the suspect. This agent also advised the VPD dispatcher to contact the Chief of Police and Deputy Chief of Police and requested that they call all off-duty personnel to assist in the search of the area. The crime scene at 1501 West Cahuilla was at this time secured by Agent Ross until the arrival of Senior Agent Harbottle, who stood by at the crime scene to prevent any contamination of the crime scene. This agent at this time observed the following evidence items on the patio at 1501 West Cahuilla, near the rear door two books of blue chip stamps, and one blue sock with a knot tied at the end. This agent at this time placed a metal trash receptacle over these items to prevent anyone from contaminating same and advising the officer securing the area to stand by and not let anyone touch it until such time as photos could be taken and they could be processed for possible prints. Upon arrival of the personnel from Tulare County Sheriff's Office, California Highway Patrol, and off-duty personnel from the VPD, a search of the entire area was made for the suspect, but with negative results. 2240 hours, December tenth, 1975. This agent returned to 1501 West Cahuilla, and a search of the area for any possible evidence revealed tennis shoe tracks on the cement just rear of the rear door of 1501 West Cahuilla, approximately four feet four inches south of the south wall, and three tennis shoe tracks in the flower bed southwest corner of the rear yard of 1501 West Cahuilla. It should be noted that the tennis shoe tracks in the southwest corner of 1501 West Cahuilla would be that of the suspect at the point where he had fired his weapon at the victim, Agent McGowan, and the two tennis shoe tracks on the rear patio of the rear door of 1501 West Cahuilla were that of the suspect of his flight from the yard at 1501 West Cahuilla. This agent, in searching the immediate area, located tennis shoe prints matching those of the suspect on the west side of 1520 West Cahuilla in the northwest corner running northeast across a vacant lot at the corner of Divisadero and Noble to a small fence on the west side of a house under construction in the 1500 block of West Noble. This agent, at this time, upon checking the area directly north, observed tennis shoe prints starting just inside the fence that is on the south side of State Route 198, and this would be directly across from 1513 West Noble. This agent at this time followed these tennis shoe prints eastbound on the dirt just north of the fence to a palm tree which is directly north of 1407 West Noble. It was noted at this time that the fence stopped just on the west side and just on the east side of the palm tree with enough room to allow a person of sufficient size to squeeze through. This agent observed the tennis shoe prints of the suspect leading up to the opening on the west and through the opening out onto Noble. Upon further checking, this agent located tennis shoe tracks heading in an eastbound direction in the alley rear of 1300 block of West Noble, and they continued eastbound across Giddings Avenue on the south side of the Noble Avenue Church of Christ, which is located at Giddings and Noble. And it was at this point this agent lost the direction of travel, as the tracks could no longer be found in an alley at the rear of the southeast corner of the church. The homeowner at 1501 West Cahuilla was contacted at this time and relayed that he was seated in his family room talking with his wife and two friends, and at approximately 8.40 p.m. he heard two shots from an area southwest of his location in his rear yard. He stated he looked out of his family room window south side of the residence and saw a male subject, large frame described as a male adult, 5'10", 180, wearing dark pants, medium colored jacket, run eastbound through his patio. Witness stated he ran to the rear door, exited, and ran to the gate east side of his patio and observed the suspect walk briskly southbound on the east side of his garage and rear fence. He stated that the suspect turned around and looked at him at this time and then took three quick strides and dove headfirst over a hedge on the south boundary of his residence, which runs from Dolner Street to the east side of his rear fence he stated he did not see the suspect again nor did he hear him he stated he returned to the breezeway at the rear of his residence and he observed some blue-chip stamp books and a short time later he observed a blue sock on the cement in the middle of the small gate and upon checking by feeling on the outside of the sock felt it contained money he stated he did not feel he can identify the suspect again if he sees him due to the fact he did not get a good look at him this agent contacted the victim mcgowan and he was interviewed as to what had transpired in its entirety and he related the following i was positioned in the garage at 1505 west kaweah with the lights off watching the adjoining residence at 1501 west kaweah for prowlers as they have had recent occurrences of a subject or subjects prowling upon their property and also the fact that i have observed tennis shoe tracks at 1501 west kaweah under a bedroom window of Jane smith at the northwest corner of the residence and directly in front of the garage I positioned myself in the garage at approximately 7 p.m. At approximately 8.30 p.m., I observed a crouched figure walk northbound by the window on the east side of the garage. The figure appeared in the doorway of the garage, still in a crouched position, looked around, and then turned and disappeared eastbound. This officer then observed the figure walk southbound past the garage window. The suspect, when first observed in front of the garage, was wearing dark clothing and a dark stocking cap. I followed the suspect southbound to the gate that leads to the rear yard of the residence at 1505 West Cahuilla and observed the suspect at the gate bend over same and do something to the locking device. This officer walked up to approximately two feet from the suspect and with my flashlight illuminated the suspect's face. The suspect screamed at this time, Oh my God, no! This officer stated, Police officer, hold it. What are you doing here? The suspect with his right hand reached up and removed his stocking cap, placing same in his right jacket pocket. It was at this time this officer observed the suspect's description described above. The suspect then jumped over the gate and ran southbound in the yard at 1505 West Cahuilla. This officer also jumped the gate, yelled halt, and kept the flashlight on the suspect's face. The suspect ran toward the southwest corner of the yard and then turned and ran toward the southeast corner. The suspect was yelling at this time, please don't hurt me, please don't hurt me, oh my God, no. The suspect then ran and stopped in the southeast corner and turned and looked at this officer. At this time, this officer fired one round from his service revolver, which is a Colt 2-inch detective special, thirty-eight caliber, into the ground to the right of this officer and away from the suspect. This officer fired the round to attract the attention of Agent Shipley, who was in the immediate area, to assist me in the apprehension of the suspect, as this agent felt that the suspect was the burglar known as the ransacker. Also, this officer believed that the subject known as the ransacker would or could be armed with a weapon, as six handguns have been taken in previous ransack burglaries, and this area was one of the heaviest victimized areas of the ransack burglaries. The suspect then vaulted over the fence on the east side of the residence into the backyard of the residence at 1501 West Cahuilla. I yelled, halt, and the suspect turned and faced me. This officer stated, I'm a police officer. Stop or I'll shoot. Put your hands up. The suspect screamed, oh my God, oh my God, don't hurt me. Please don't hurt me. It was noted that the suspect screamed in a high-pitched feminine type voice and acted very hysterical. The suspect then raised his right hand and stated, "'See, my hands are up!' The suspect then began to move around by turning his body as if to distract this officer's attention from his hands. The suspect then put his left hand in his left coat pocket and withdrew a weapon and fired between the slats in the fence that was between the suspect and myself. At this time, this officer was approximately three feet from the suspect, holding my flashlight away from my body, illuminating the suspect's face, and was just starting to climb the fence." The blast from the weapon and the projectile striking the flashlight knocked this officer down onto my back. I got back to my feet and observed the suspect run out the patio gate on the east side of 1501 West Puebla and run southbound. I proceeded to the area I last saw the suspect and contacted The neighbor, who advised that the suspect had run southbound. I proceeded to the hedge where the suspect was last seen and observed one book of blue-chip stamps on the grass north of the hedge. At this time, I was contacted by Senior Agent Hartman and relayed what had transpired. I handed my flashlight and the book of blue-chip stamps to Senior Agent Hartman, who stated he was going to seize them as evidence. This agent interviewed witness, Agent Shipley, who related the following i walked into the area with victim agent mcgowan at approximately seven p m and took a position on the west side of fifteen hundred west cawea at approximately eight fifteen p m directly across the street from the victim's position a short time later exact time unknown i observed a subject walking northbound on the east side of the garage that the victim was positioned in and noted that the subject had both hands in his coat pockets the subject almost got to the northeast corner of the garage and then turned and moved rapidly southbound to the gate that leads into the rear yard at 1505 west guia and he stopped at this time A vehicle passed by westbound on Kaweah, and then the subject then turned around and walked northbound back to the northeast corner of the garage where the victim was located, stepped in front of the garage, and looked in. The subject then took approximately two paces west, bent over, and was looking into the garage. The subject then turned around and walked eastbound to the east side of the garage, and then turned and walked southbound the subject had not quite reached the gate when i observed victim appear at the northeast corner of the garage and look at the subject the victim then started moving southbound toward the subject i heard victim yell something to the effect of hey hold it right there the subject turned around looked at the victim and yelled oh no and started running southbound the victim started running chasing the subject and this time i proceeded to start running southbound toward their location at this time victim yelled something to the effect of police officer hold it the subject yelled oh god no I lost sight of both victim and suspect at this time. I ran up to the gate, and when I went over the gate, I saw two outlines of figures in the southeast corner of the rear yard at 1505 West Cahuilla and heard the victim state. I said, hold it, and I heard a shot fired. The suspect at this time screamed like a woman in a high-pitched voice, and I heard noises as if someone was going over a fence. I approached victim's location and saw victim with his gun drawn and pointed at the suspect. I heard the victim state, I told you to get your hands up. As I approached the area where victim and suspect were, I could see victim, but the view of suspect was blocked by a tree in the rear yard at 1501 West Gawea. At this time, I heard a shot and observed victim fall backwards onto the ground and lay there. The suspect ran northbound, and I stepped northbound in an attempt to get a shot at the suspect, but my view was blocked by some bamboo shade and some bushes. I turned back and saw victim still on the ground. I felt that the victim was possibly dead as he was not moving. I turned back toward the direction the suspect had run, requesting assistance by police radio, heard movement behind me, and observed the victim standing. The victim at this time stated, "'There he goes!' I ran northbound towards the front of 1501 North Cahuilla and then eastbound to the east side of 1501 West Cahuilla in an attempt to cut off the suspect, but did not observe him again. The victim was transported to Kawea Delta Hospital and treated by an ophthalmologist who removed three foreign objects from the victim's right eye. The doctor handed these three objects to Agent McGowan, who in turn turned these foreign objects over to this agent and they were seized as evidence a check of the contents of the blue sock revealed the listed evidence and it was the opinion of this agent that the suspect was in fact the burglar known as the ransacker and had committed a burglary on west laurel and had proceeded from that residence north where he was observed by the victim and witness number one friday december twelfth nineteen seventy five eleven hundred hours this agent was contacted by a landscape supervisor with the department of transportation he reported that he is responsible for the area of state route one nine eight through Visalia he stated that he had checked the area north of the fourteen hundred and fifteen hundred blocks of west noble this being the area that this officer had seen the foot tracks of the suspect at 1045 this date and he had observed an area in the oleander bushes that appeared that someone had concealed himself within the bushes and also had observed broken branches he stated he had gone through this area on tuesday december ninth, 1975 in the afternoon hours and he did not observe this and feel he would have seen it From the Visalia Times Delta, December 11, 1975. The victim noticed an open drawer in the kitchen when he came home from a dinner party Wednesday night, and that gave him an inkling that something was wrong. As he walked through the formal dining room, he saw a buffet drawer ajar, adding to the feeling that all was not well. Then he entered the master bedroom, where his fears were confirmed. The room literally was a mess, the dresser drawers emptied of their contents on the bed and floor. The victim, a Visalia physician and his wife had been the victims of a burglary, but one in which very little was taken from the home. They later learned the police believe their home was burglarized by the same man who fired a shot at VPD officer Wednesday night. The shooting incident happened several blocks from their West Laurel Avenue home. Surveying the situation this morning, the victim said what is often heard from burglary victims, you never think it's going to happen to you. The scene at the home this morning was the same one that confronted them Wednesday night as they returned about 10.30. Everything had been left untouched by the couple, and the police had spent the entire night sifting through the damage. The damage included a broken creme de menthe decanter with the dark green sweet liqueur staining the plush off-white living room carpet. The victim believes the stain on the rug, which was a little over a year old, is the most significant damage done by the burglar. Although the master bedroom had been ransacked and littered with underclothes, lingerie, sweater, and bits of paper, nothing of great value had apparently been taken, he said.
0: The scene in the bedroom and the fact that nothing of great value appeared to be missing followed a pattern now familiar to VPD. Officers believe the burglar struck the residence is the same one who committed about 90 ransack burglaries in the last two years the doctor's medical bag was in the bedroom closet and had not been disturbed he said neither had his wife's purse which contained money apparently the only thing taken was a half-jar of pennies in the bedroom of their son who was away at college the physician explained that his son began a practice of throwing his pennies into the jar and saving them and the doctor continued that practice the empty jar was found in the daughter's bedroom where a window above the bed was open she lives and works in los angeles the dozen or so christmas presents stacked in her room were not touched the victim wife's jewelry box was found in the family's game room at the other end of the house it was sitting atop the pool table with the jewelry strewn over green cushion the victim said his wife had not been able to determine what if anything was taken from that box she had been wearing her most valuable jewelry at the dinner party that evening the rest of the game room a high-beamed ceiling room with large windows and sliding glass door to the patio was not disturbed that patio door had a small warning notice posted off to its left warning that all valuable items in the home had been marked for identification the den and the kitchen were not disturbed except for the one drawer which originally tipped the doctor off to the trouble The living room, with its piano and smoked glass mirror on one wall, was not touched except for the broken decanter and the liqueur stain on the carpet. The family dog, Popcorn, a small, white, wizened canine, was in the house during the burglary. The old dog probably barked a couple times, he speculated, and then left the person or persons alone. Although understandably disturbed over the matter, the victim said he is thankful that the situation was not worse. Our fear has always been that somebody would be really destructive and throw paint on the walls rip paintings or something like that he said
1: This is VPD report Vaughn December 17th 1975 December 16th 1975 Tuesday Due to the circumstances surrounding the events of december tenth nineteen seventy five Wednesday, it is essential at this time to correlate those circumstances to the homicide investigation on december tenth nineteen seventy five Wednesday. Seven officers were again deployed at eighteen hundred hours in the upper right quarter of the area frequented by the ransack burglar at approximately twenty thirty hours. Agent McGowan positioned in the garage at fifteen o five West Kaweia observed a subject believed to be the ransacker. At approximately 2230 hours, a ransack burglary was reported on West Laurel, which is within the same area where the officers were deployed. This burglary occurred on this date after 1830 hours. To illustrate the MO points in the same manner and has been done in previous ransack burglaries, the following is presented West Laurel, December 10, 1975, 1830 to 2230 hours, Wednesday. Contacted. Took money, blue chip stamps, and rings, including one class ring ransacked rooms, through female underclothing, left points of escape, tennis shoe tracks photographed. To summarize the highlights of these events and show correlation between these and past investigative leads, the following is presented. 1. Agent McGowan described the ransacker as being White male adult, 20 to 25 years, 5'10", 180 pounds, short blonde hair paired on the left side, round face with soft skin features short stubby fingers wearing a dark colored stocking cap green camouflage jacket zipped up the front and elastic cuffs dark pants dark tennis shoes and brown cotton gloves 2 the suspect left tennis shoe tracks visually appearing to be the same as found at numerous other ransack burglaries 3 the suspect drew and fired a revolver at agent mcgowan with his left hand 4 the suspect removed his stocking cap from his head with his right hand and put it into his right jacket pocket possibly to avoid dropping or losing it five the suspect was observed by agent shipley prior to his contact with agent mcgowan to be sneaking in the yards in the darkness of shrubbery number six the suspect dropped loot taken from the ransack burglary at west laurel Seven. The suspect fired one round and struck Agent McGowan's flashlight. This point is made as a consideration to further investigation and that the suspect who shot Mr. Snelling fired twice and hit his target both times.
0: So McGowan was taking out the area where he found the ransacker's footprints under Jane Smith's windows. He took a position in the neighbor's garage where he could keep an eye on that area and see if the ransacker came to the neighbors for the flower pot, which he'd been using as a step stool. McGowan confronted the ransacker next to the garage, and had his flashlight on his face from a couple of feet away. Although the ransacker's mask is described as a stocking cap, it had eye holes, and it was covering his face, so we'll call it a mask. When confronted by McGowan, he removed the mask with his right hand and put it in his right jacket pocket, and said, Oh my God, no!
1: It's pretty clear that he removed the mask to give McGowan the impression that he was complying. He was stalling and buying some time without getting shot. McGowan saw his face from two feet away with a flashlight on it and the ransacker didn't care. There's a lot to think about in the fact that he had no fear of McGowan recognizing him. The ransacker then turned and fled into the backyard screaming, please don't hurt me in a hysterical high voice. At this point, despite knowing this person killed Claude Snelling, McGowan believed the ransacker was panicked and fired a warning shot simply to stop him from fleeing further. The ransacker immediately held up his right hand and said, see, my hands are up, all while using his left hand to draw and fire on McGowan through the fence slats. What at the time looked like panicked hysteria was actually false compliance and distraction while he calmly shot out the flashlight and escaped into the darkness.
0: Shooting at McGowan bought him some time, and he fled through the smith's backyard. He had about 11 pounds of loot stuffed in his jacket. He dropped it on the smith's patio before diving over their hedge and out of sight. His escape was another classic double back, and he once again used the fenced-in planting and ditch area that borders the 198 to make his escape. You can see his exact escape route by turning on the McGowan shooting layer on the interactive VR map. There is a bizarre myth that the VR crossed the 198 and sat watching and laughing at law enforcement as they searched for him. That story is a lie. He disappeared into the neighborhood behind the church at Giddings and Noble.
1: There is no doubt that this was the ransacker and the person who killed Snelling. He was wearing the same size 9 Converse, which McGowan was able to describe as dark, low-top style, He was carrying the loot stolen from the Laurel ransacking that night, which was a classic ransacker MO break-in, and the stolen items included coins, a class ring, and blue chip stamps. He was a crack left-handed shot using a short barrel revolver and chose to shoot rather than run or surrender.
0: In addition to the description in the VPD reports, Vaughn confirmed that the main reason McGowan only fired a warning shot was because he thought it was a teen who, quote, didn't look like he'd even shaved yet, He didn't want to kill a kid. McGowan was chosen for the Snelling Task Force because of his honest moral reputation and his role as the school resource officer. Even though McGowan felt certain he was looking at the person who had killed Claude Snelling, he still didn't shoot him.
1: The McGowan shooter being a teen is actually consistent with almost every one of the ransacking and Snelling suspects up to that point. From the beginning, the ransackings always felt like teen burglaries. His activities tended to focus on the youth in the house. He didn't seem to be in need of cash and never stole valuable jewelry or electronics like normal burglars. The ransacker always prowled on foot or bicycle and wore Converse All-Stars, a tennis shoe no adult wore casually in the 1970s.
0: One other thing that pointed to a younger offender was the sheer lack of reports of his activities. He roamed in and out of residential yards and neighborhoods for nearly two years and nobody took any note of him. The police repeatedly asked people to be on the lookout and got no useful reports. Kids cut through yards and rode their bikes around all of the time. And if he looked middle class and white, nobody in Vasilia would have given him a second glance.
1: We are going to stay focused on the descriptions given by Beth Snelling and Agent McGowan, the two people who we know saw the correct suspect. McGowan saw the VR without his mask and from only a couple of feet away. His description should also be given extra weight since he was a trained law enforcement officer who was waiting for the VR and expecting to see him that night. Beth saw him with a mask and under much, much more stressful circumstances.
0: The ransacker's height is pretty undisputed here. Beth said 5'9 and then 5'10. McGowan and the neighbor at the shooting both said 5'10" so he wasn't as short as, say, 5'8", or as tall as 6 foot. We'll just call it 5 foot 10.
1: Weight estimates range from Beth's initial statement of 150, her second statement of 150 to 175, and her statement in the car after hypnosis that it seemed like he weighed more than her boyfriend, who weighed 170. McGowan said 180, but he had been to the hypnosis session with Beth and was in the car with her when she said more than 170, so he likely had 180 in his mind. Also, McGowan saw him with a heavier coat. The low temperature in Vesalia that day was 39, with a high of 46, and a sprinkling of rain. Pretty cold and damp by Vesalia's standards. In addition, the ransacker had a sock with 1,500 pennies and other loot stuffed inside the front of his jacket, and that 11 pounds likely added some serious bulk to his appearance.
0: Taking all of that into account, it seems safe to say that the VR probably weighed about 170, while that's not thin or lean, it's hardly fat, especially for someone with a lot of muscle mass. It's undisputed that the ransacker had strong arms and shoulders and was athletic and agile. He walked, biked, and ran miles per night while prowling, vaulted six-foot fences, climbed onto roofs, and did it all while attracting almost zero attention to himself. He was not a stumbling, bumbling fat guy.
1: McGowan felt his hair was blonde. The neighbor said it was more sandy, so blondish. Although his hair was described as short, that's by 1975 standards, where most guys had hair at or near their shoulders. The Ransackers was a normal length for a male, top of his ears with longer bangs that swept across his forehead. Both Beth and McGowan agreed that he had a round face with a noticeably wide jaw. His nose had a distinctive side view, which is why McGowan had the profile composite done.
0: Speaking of the composite... Although it seems to have some overly exaggerated features and the camouflage jacket looks more like a white collared flowered hippie shirt, there is one thing to note, the cleft in the chin. This is a fairly distinctive characteristic and it's rarely discussed. It's something that would have been invisible with the mask so McGowan may have seen something really important.
1: So, the best description of the VR we've been able to put together from the original police reports is a white male 16 to 25 years in 1975, 5'10", 170 pounds, size 9 shoes, left-handed or strongly ambidextrous, cleft in chin, blonde to very light brown hair, left parted with sweeping bangs in 1975. This is pretty close to the description published in the Visalia Times Delta on Thursday, December 18, 1975.
0: Police seek public help to identify suspect this is an artist's drawing of a man being sought in last week's shooting at vasalia police detective william mcgowan the sketch was based on a description provided by the officer the suspect is described as being in his twenties with light blond hair pale complexion short stubby fingers five foot ten inches tall and weighing about one hundred eighty pounds he is thought to frequently wear a fatigue type jacket he also was wanted for questioning in numerous ransack burglaries in Visalia in the last two years. The man may collect stamps and coins and is thought to live a normal life in the daytime and is frequently on the street during the early evening and nighttime hours, officers said. He is not believed to be a known criminal. Police said citizens already have been providing information about possible suspects, but at this point names in addition to possible leads would be the most helpful information. Vaughn cautioned citizens not to approach the suspect who is armed and considered dangerous.
1: Although the stubby fingers were included in McGowan's description, Vaughn confirmed that he added that to be consistent with Beth's description, and McGowan only saw the ransacker's hands in brown cotton gloves rolled down on the back of the hands. Because the only source of this detail is the hypnosis, we don't want anyone dismissing a possible suspect because his fingers seemed normal-sized.
0: We approached this case from Donna's murder and had been immersed in the investigative work of TCSO, so it was a relief to see that VPD was light years ahead in attitude, professionalism, and logical thinking. Vaughn and McGowan also showed a tremendous amount of compassion towards the victims of the ransacker, and they took the case very personally.
1: It was clear from the start that every possible suspect was on the table. They looked at star athletes, college students, and even a local attorney. They started at the Snelling house and worked their way out speaking to all of her close friends and other girls involved in cheering activities at Mount Whitney. They also scrubbed Claude Snelling's student files looking for someone with a grudge or possible connection to Beth.
0: By the end of November 1975 they had compiled a list of 37 suspects who were somewhere in the process of being cleared. 21 of them were teens and most lived in the VR areas. Some of the suspects had criminal convictions, or they were turned in to VPD on the tip line, or via officer canvassing of the snelly neighbors. Two made the list simply because they wore the same Converse tennis shoes as the ransacker. One watched cheerleading practice while he waited for his ride after school, and another was a teen girl whose bike was stolen and used by the ransacker. No potential suspect was off the table, and no lead was dismissed out of hand.
1: It made sense to look at teens given the Ransacker's focus on homes with Mount Whitney students and his ability to blend into the neighborhoods without attracting attention. We noticed in the newspapers in Tulare County that several serious kidnapping rapes in 1974 and 1975 were committed by teens. The youngest suspect the Snelling Task Force investigated was 14. He was making harassing phone calls to Mount Whitney cheerleaders. They had a 15-year-old who had attempted to kidnap a Mount Whitney teacher and another who had been arrested for child molestation. There was no shortage of serious crimes being committed by teenage boys in Visalia in 1975. This is VPD Report Bonn, December 31, 1975. Investigators assigned to this case were deployed to personally cover specific businesses, medical, and school establishments in an attempt to identify the suspect designated as the ransacker. Numerous composite photographs were distributed to as many persons as possible, including all VPD personnel and sheriff's officers. During the following two weeks, up until December 29, 1975, with the aid of local news media, including newspaper, radio, and television, over 90 subjects were checked by this investigation. By the use of photos located at VPD, TCSO, or DMV, and by Agent McGowan personally observing numerous subjects in person, the majority of these subjects were eliminated from further investigation numerous names or locations of possible subjects appearing to be similar in appearance were contributed by local citizens responding to our request for community aid in this investigation monday december twenty ninth nineteen seventy five due to our apparent inability to identify and locate the suspect in this case and also from information developed by agents shipley and mcgowan that persons unknown to us previously have observed and may have confronted this suspect while he was prowling or trespassing on their property and also from our belief that he may reside in the area of his confrontation with agent mcgowan an added technique was initiated in that teams were assigned to begin a neighborhood canvass Teams are to be in the upper right quarter of the ransackers' area. Besides trying to develop more community awareness and attempting to locate or identify the suspect, it is hoped that this technique will add new information to the ransackers' movements to be utilized for future attempts to apprehend him. This is VPD Report McGowan, January 7, 1976.
0: January 6, 1976. Reporting agent contacted Homer Porter, MO, burglary analyst and computer operator with CII Sacramento. Mr. Porter was given information regarding the complete description, known characteristics, and the M.O. of the Snelling homicide suspect and the ransacker. Requested Mr. Porter to feed this information into the C.I.I. computer the MO section in effort to identify other known ransack burglars or any previous arrests on MO's similar to ours in this particular area. Mr. Porter stated that he would feed the available information into the computer and would notify this agent in approximately one week as it would take this long to complete that task. He related further that after doing this particular area He would attempt to do the Southern California and Bay Area in an effort to identify a burglar with the same description and MO as our reported ransacker and murder suspect. Mr. Porter related further with the particular characteristics and MO of this particular suspect and due to the fact that we know his race, height, approximate weight and color of hair and shoe size, it was a strong possibility that he could more easily make a match by use of the computer. CII analysts were also requested to search the computer for all recent recorded sales of Smith and Wesson revolvers in the Vassalia area to any person matching the physical of our ransacker. Although they are only indirectly related to the VR case, we want to take a few minutes to discuss two suspects who were cleared 40 years ago, but continue to be widely circulated on the internet and even in Richard Shelby's book on the EAR. The first was known as the Dolner Street Prowler.
1: This is VPD Report McGowan, March 26, 1976. March 2, 76 through March 12, 76, Tuesday through Friday. Reporting agent and agent Shipley received information that a prowler was active in the area of the 2200 block of South Dolner, who generally fit the physical description of the ransacker and had some similar MO traits. Began working these particular cases in an effort to either eliminate or apprehend this suspect as the suspect who we are in search of as the Snelling murder suspect and the ransack burglar, who is also a noted prowler. Through physical evidence and investigation by reporting agents, it was determined that the responsible in this case was Rodney Derek Boren, white male, 18 years, 6 foot, 180 pounds, brown hair, brown eyes. Reporting agents positively identified the subject as the suspect, and also this suspect was connected to these prowling incidents through his fingerprints, which were found on some items he had dropped in the rear yard of the area in which he was prowling. This agent and Agent Shipley presented this case to the Visalia Municipal Court and obtained a warrant on the suspect, charging him with 647GPC and 488PC, Visalia Municipal Court Warrant number 51790. Reporting agents on March 12, 1976, at 10.30 hours, arrested suspect Bourne at his residence and transported him to VPD, where he was advised of his constitutional rights and questioned in regards to the Prowling incidents. He waived his rights and stated that he was responsible for several nights of prowling in that particular area and he did steal a bicycle belonging to a subject in a trailer park at 3301 South Divisadero for transportation purposes and that he did prowl the backyard of several residences. He also stated that he had just recently got out of road camp where he was serving time for receiving stolen property. This suspect was then logged into county jail, and it was noted that the suspect generally fits the physical description of the ransack burglar. However, he has light brown hair rather than blonde and is somewhat taller. It should also be noted the suspect positively was eliminated as the ransacker as he was in jail during the commission of several crimes that were connected and attributed to the ransack burglar. Later, in 1976, after VPD made a public plea for information on past contact anyone may have had with a peeper or prowler, especially in the VR zones, a college student who will call Mike came forward with information. Mike said that in the fall of seventy three or seventy four, he caught a prowler at his girlfriend's house on Feemster. This is VPD Report McGowan, october first, nineteen seventy six.
0: September twenty third, nineteen seventy six, Thursday, nine forty five AM. Possible witness Mike twenty three years appeared at Vassali Police Department, was shown several photographs of white male adults fitting the general description of suspect in this case. Included in this group of photographs was a picture of Peter Burgess. Mike studied the group of photographs for some time and related that the only subject who fits the description is subject Peter Burgess and that he is very similar to the suspect he encountered who was prowling the yard of his girlfriend, Jill, back about two years ago. This was at Jill's residence on Feemster in Vesalia, the prime area of the ransack burglaries. He stated further that the suspect was definitely on the large or heavy side, and had sloping shoulders, big legs and thick thighs, that his hair was rather light color, not a gold blonde but kind of a sandy color, and that he ran kind of awkwardly and was not extremely fast, nor did he think he was extremely agile. He related further that the subject, when cornered by himself near the residence at Seoul, engaged in conversation, and he would continually look away from him, and the suspect had what he termed an oaky accent or a flat-type voice. He stated further that he got an extremely good look at him due to the streetlight, and that he did face him from just a few feet away and engaged in conversation, as previously mentioned, for approximately two to three minutes. He also related that the suspect appeared to be scared and that he had an unusual round face with a pale complexion, and his eyes were rather slinty tight, as was his mouth, and that he kept acting like there was a third person present, trying to distract his attention away from himself. However, he was positive there was nobody else there. Mike stated further that he's positive he is approximately 25 to 26 years of age, or was at that time. Mike was then allowed to listen to a tape recording of Peter that had previously been recorded in this office, and he listened to said recording for approximately 20 minutes. He related that when the suspect, Peter, got excited during the conversations on the tape, that that voice was nearly identical to that of the suspect who he had encountered that night. He related further that Burgess's voice appeared to him to be of a flat, oaky-type nature, very similar to that of the suspect, and when excited, almost identical. When asked which suspect most closely resembled that of the suspect who he encountered out of the photograph shown, he related Peter Burgess was the most similar, if not the same, that he feels he could positively identify the suspect if he sees him in a lineup.
1: This is VPD Report McGowan. October 5th, 1976. August 2nd, 1976. Linda, 20 years, West Feemster Street. Picked the photograph of Peter Burgess as the prowler she observed at her residence. Positive ID. Jill, 19 years, West Femster. Jill picked photo out of a photo lineup of Peter Burgess and is almost positive that Peter is her prowler. She had seen him at her residence on two past occasions. She also described the suspect physically exactly the same as Peter. September 23rd, 1976. Mike, 23 years. Mike was shown a lineup, including Peter Burgess, and he stated he felt Peter would be the same suspect he caught prowling at his girlfriend's house in September or October of 1974. He also listened to the voice of Peter on a tape and related he feels Peter's voice is identical to the voice of the prowler. Another resident had identified a prowler peeper near her residence on Feemster as a guy we'll call Peter Burgess. With no other leads to follow, VPD began looking at Burgess as a person of interest. He was an admitted peeper, but denied all knowledge of the VR and Snelling cases, and eventually passed a lie detector test. VPD brought in both Mike and his girlfriend, and they positively identified Burgess as the person they encountered a few years before. VPD also played a tape of Burgess speaking, and Mike positively ID'd Burgess's distinctive Oklahoma accent and his voice when excited, as matching the prowler he caught on Feemster.
0: McGowan made a possible identification of Burgess as the suspect he saw, but it was clear he could not be the person described by Beth Snelling. Looking at his 1976 driver's license, Burgess was eleven and weighed almost 200 pounds. He was not great on personal hygiene, and he was a chain smoker with a very pronounced Oaky accent. He also had a pigeon-toed walk, which would have been very noticeable to Beth as she watched him flee down the driveway. Beth's initial description was of a five-foot-nine, 150-pound, very clean-smelling attacker with no accent and a normal gait.
1: This led VPD down a bizarre rabbit hole for a few months. They brought in an expert profiler to help them understand Burgess and how he could be responsible. This gets seriously convoluted, so hang on to your coffee. You'll need it. To account for the Snelling case the expert told them that Burgess's brother Dave was responsible. So Peter was the VR and the person who shot at McGowan but his brother Dave attempted to kidnap Beth and killed Claude Snelling. Now Dave was six foot 200 pounds so we have no idea how they get back to Beth's original description of 59150 from the night of the attack.
0: All of this also means that Peter would have had to have been the one to steal the Maruku revolver but since he passed a polygraph on knowledge of the Snelling case, the expert said that Dave then stole the Maruku from Peter without his knowledge and used it to kill Snelling. Seriously, it also would mean that the crack left-handed shot who hit Claude Snelling twice with two shots is not the same left-handed shooter who shot at McGowan between fence slats and hit his flashlight dead on.
1: Needless to say, this theory was not pursued for long And to be fair to Sergeant Vaughn, he argued against it from day one. The problem was they had three people who positively identified Peter Burgess as a peeper prowler, which he readily admitted. And for a time, this was the only suspect they had in front of them, and they felt he needed to be run down. Looking at it from the outside so many years later, it seems absurd, especially since they had done such an excellent job connecting the VR to the Snelling case and were now arguing against their own work. Neither brother fit the physical description, but Peter's face was close enough for McGowan to doubt himself, and to make a possible ID.
0: All of this doesn't seem like a very big deal. A suspect investigated and cleared, like 100 before and after him. But somehow Burgess's story became larger than life in the internet age. A few things seem to have happened. One, Mike's story was shared on the message boards discussing the East Area Rapist. Two, Mike's description of Burgess started to be referred to as the description of the VR, and it is often referred to incorrectly, even by law enforcement, as McGowan's description of the VR. And three, an Internet rumor started that Burgess was positively identified as the VR and Snelling's killer, but VPD couldn't get enough evidence to prosecute.
1: We want to be really, really clear here, and this is from both the documents in front of us and directly from Sergeant Vaughn and the current VPD VR investigator. Burgess was not the VR, and he did not kill Snelling. He was cleared by physical description, polygraph exam, and alibis. He was unavailable for many of the cases. Remember, Peter Burgess, as a VR suspect, required that his brother Dave was responsible for Snelling, and that entire theory was beyond bizarre from the beginning.
0: We have heard that law enforcement from some of the EAR jurisdictions are still claiming today that one or both of the Burgess brothers committed the Visalia crimes, and so there is no reason to look for a VR connection to the EAR or ONS cases. This is 100% false. It is beyond false. We have confirmed with past VPD current VPD, and Dave Burgess himself. The Burgess brothers were cleared in 1977 of all involvement with both the VR and Snelling cases. Dave Burgess said he became very concerned and hired an attorney for Peter, and the attorney was able to work with VPD to verify Peter's work and out-of-town alibis for many of the ransackings.
1: VPD looked much harder and longer at several other suspects over the years, and they were all eventually totally and completely cleared. We're not discussing them in detail because nobody is using them as justification for refusing to look at a link between the VR and EAR cases.
0: To repeat... There was never any evidence that either Burgess brother was connected to any ransacking or the Snelling case. They only became persons of interest because residents reported unrelated peeping and prowling behavior by Peter. McGowan and Beth Snelling described the VR. Mike described Peter Burgess. The two should not be confused.